Times on air. It's a two-parter. I'm David Finch. So the IoT, in a lot of ways, actually started around the city concepts and smart cities. That was Daniel Cooley. Daniel is Senior Vice President and General Manager of IoT Products at Silicon Labs. And previously, in part one of this two-part episode on smart cities, he shared with me some of the technologies enabling intelligent urban design. It was a very practical, nuts-and-bolts conversation. Here's some more. The smartness is going to descend as far to the edge as possible. It's more energy efficient to compute down there. It optimizes the critical infrastructure of network bandwidth. It's more secure, it's more private. Um, In in many ways, it's more scalable in in all of this. So uh, that is just my theory. And I I see Moore's Law marching. I I see what the fabs are doing and and we're all trying to enable a a smarter um, IoT where the computing Uh, Not just the computing is distributed the way they're being distributed now, but also the data being distributed. You get the idea. Well, today in part two, I wanted to explore the larger context of all this cool technology. Mesh networks, distributed intelligence, these are things that compose the connected infrastructure of smart cities. It's, It's what a smart city needs. But I wanted to learn more about what a smart city provides. I wanted to know how we might define this concept. What cities are leading the world in technological integration? And are these efforts really improving quality of life for the people who live there? Earlier this year, the Journal of Cleaner Production published a paper written by four researchers who examined quality of life in the Brazilian town of Curitiba a city that has received dozens of awards for intelligent urban design. More to the point, they examined perceived quality of life in the city. In other words, have the city's smart initiatives translated to an elevated sense of satisfaction among the nearly two million people who call it home? The paper reveals some interesting statistics, like the fact that while only 4% of our planet's surface is occupied by cities, they account for fully 67% of our energy consumption and 70% of greenhouse gas emissions. Or this figure, that around 60% of the world's population will be living in cities by 2030, 60%. That's 5.1 billion people standing around waiting for an Uber, trying to find parking, taking a little too long to place their order at Starbucks. It's 5.1 billion people trying to navigate their urban environment, producing the usual trash revving their internal combustion engines at increasingly long red lights. It's not hard to understand the pressures our cities are facing to accommodate all this growth, which is why I was eager to learn about the digitalization of this large city in southern Brazil. I won't go into the particulars of the report, but I will give away the ending, because I was surprised, even a little disappointed, by what they found. After interviewing 400 residents, the verdict was clear. Overall, the citizens of Curitiba expressed low satisfaction with the very elements that make Curitiba a smart city, specifically socio-structural relationships, environmental well-being, material well-being, and community integration. When asked about things like green spaces within the city, for example, or urban cleanliness and availability of cultural facilities, respondents were mostly positive. They were less positive about things like feeling safe in one's neighborhood, feeling safe in the city itself, efficiency and trustworthiness of city administrative services and even air quality 
In other words, the sorts of factors that can make or break one's perceived quality of life. So how does an award-winning smart city, a city that was first to connect all municipal buses to a 3G network, a city that has been considered to be one of the 10 smartest cities in the world, fail to receive simple validation from its residents? Especially when the city has specifically prioritized citizen-centric initiatives, such as providing abundant green space, an innovative bus rapid transit system, or BRT, that has become the model for municipalities everywhere since 1974, and environmental sustainability, just to name three. The answer, of course, is it's complicated. Clearly, there are real benefits to inhabitants of connected environments. Otherwise, cities like Curitiba, Copenhagen, London, Stockholm, Singapore wouldn't be making such large-scale commitments to digitalization. Companies like Microsoft, Cisco, Siemens, Ericsson, and countless others wouldn't be racing to develop robust smart city solutions if there weren't a significant benefit to people. By all counts, the city of Curitiba is doing lots of things right and attracting attention from companies and institutions all over the world. So beyond the technology, where do city planners need to focus in order to have a meaningful impact on the people they serve? Jake Rishavi is co-founder of the Colorado Smart Cities Alliance, a statewide public, private, and academic collaboration based on accelerating the responsible adoption of smart cities practices. Jake, it's great to have you. Great to be here. So, okay, we're in 2018, I think. And uh, (laughs) in the media everywhere, if you're reading about tech, you're reading about IoT. You you can't escape that. Sure. Um, You're now starting to read a lot about smart cities. Mm -hmm. And eventually that's going to expand into smart, say, everything, agriculture, the rural areas, and and connecting as much as we possibly can. Um, In your estimation, right, um, are we just now beginning to usher in this era of the smart city? Or is the practical landscape um, still on a more distant horizon? That's a great question. I I think um, in many ways, if the development of smart cities was a baseball game, we are in the first inning, for sure, without a doubt. Um, Now, that's said with a caveat, um, there has been talk about smart cities for a decade or more. Um, the Some of the large technology companies have been promoting smart cities as a movement um, for probably a decade or more. Um, but that was really kind of install this piece of enterprise software and you will become a smart city. The concept of smart cities as it exists today has really evolved far past that. A lot of it's driven by concepts like the Internet of Things, um, but it's also just expanded to be this whole, uh, a much more holistic approach uh, towards operations both within the city and Essentially, the the quality of life, which we equate to be the user experience of a city, of living in a city. Exactly. The city becomes the applications. We're the consumers. We're the users of the application. Absolutely. And uh, in your words, right, and we've got a lot of different opinions on this, mm-hmm. What what is a smart city? What makes a city smart versus just, hey, we've got uh, security cameras, 
and we've got some smart buildings. Well, and if you asked 100 people that question, you would get 100 <laughs> different answers right. uh, for sure. Um, but in that, uh, the core is that it's really citizen-centric. Um, and a smart city is a city that has the ability to listen to the built environment and the people in a city and create a more rapid feedback loop. And and by increasing that feedback loop, um, you get that more responsive, more citizen-centric experience. And so if, if we are building a more uh, responsive, citizen-centric urban environment, mm-hmm. um, is that attractive to, uh, to say, businesses um, that we're trying to bring into the city? It's absolutely critical to businesses. 10 years ago or 15 years ago, people were primarily moving for jobs. Mm-hmm. Now that's shifted to they're primarily moving to communities, high-quality communities where they want to live, and companies are chasing those people, that talent. Uh, because talent, like when you talk to companies of all sizes, whether that's, you know, your mom and pop landscaping company or a Fortune 500 company, finding adequate talent has become the differentiator for competitiveness. And so they have to go where people want to live. And if they're going to, say, recruit talent from out of state, they have to have a high-quality community uh, in which to attract those people. And for us, smart cities as, again, uh, policies, process, um, technologies, really a philosophy of smart cities is really ensuring that you're going to have that high quality of life that is going to attract the talent that becomes the lifeblood of companies. What are some of the municipalities that are digitalizing themselves Uh, for the citizens? I would say, hands down, the one within the United States. uh, And then we should talk about kind of where we sit internationally, because I think that's that's also an important part of this discussion. But within the United States, I would say, in terms of adopting smart cities technologies, it's Kansas City. Um, and, and Kansas City is an interesting uh, an interesting place. They've been now for seven or eight years really aggressive and pursuing these types of applications. Um, so, th- for example, uh, they've got a streetcar line uh, that runs through their downtown. And that streetcar line is outfitted with an IoT sensor network. Um, it's run on Google Fiber. Um, it's run in connection with, um, in partnership with Verizon and a number of other public sector or private sector partners, excuse me. Um, and if you're coming into town, you can literally pull up an app and it'll show you available parking spaces that are open right now. Oh, not that's brilliant. Yeah. Not, not, you know, theoretically, historically, they've been open. They know through the technology that they've deployed in that environment, these are the open spots and you can drive right to them. Uh, quick side note, roughly 30% of city traffic is people driving around looking for parking. That is an amazing <laughs> statistic and I something know. I completely believe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you see it all day and uh, you probably do it all day. Um, yeah, living in the 30%, city. man. Sure. Um, but so you can imagine if you can minimize that 30% by 50, then you're making a big impact on on the the ease of mobility around that city. But then beyond that, so so you're down there, the trains know when there are people gathering in higher density 
because there are sensors on the street poles that measure, say, pedestrian traffic on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. So if people are gathering to get on the train to go to the game, the, the system responds and is adaptive and can run more trains more regularly. Now, those are just those that's fairly simple stuff. Um, but when when you combine, you know, 10, 15 of those applications together, all of a sudden, you know, that experience of going to the game, you know, you're not spending all your time looking for parking. You're not spending all your time waiting for the train. You're not spending your time on your phone looking, you know, for a restaurant. You're just heading to the place that's right up the street. That is what you want. I mean, those are examples of how this technology enables you to have a better experience. So, uh, Speaking of those types of investments, right, um, uh, it's going to be some combination of taxpayer dollars or whatever, if we're, if we're, especially if we're talking about municipalities. And I don't know, I don't know how things get funded, sure. um, which is why I'm not in upper management anywhere. <laughs> I never have to worry about that stuff, and I frankly don't want to. But that's your whole, sure. that's your whole gig. Sure. And um, what are the types of investments that need to be made? Like, what what are municipalities looking at when they're seriously considering connecting themselves and and providing this type of experience for their residents. Yeah, certainly the best practice is to start with the problem and identifying like what that challenge is. It's not it's not just Parking is difficult. Um, so when when a city is making an investment like that, uh, they really are needing to purchase or invest in each layer of that technology stack. So they may have they may have 10 sensors to sense uh, pedestrian traffic on the street. They may have to choose between those 10. It might be hundreds. Right. Um, they need to figure out how they're going to communicate the data that's being gathered. You need to figure out how they're going to process that data and turn it into actionable intelligence. And then to display that to someone who's like, say, you know, a traffic manager or a director of public works who may not be um, a technologist in the sense of the, the audience that's listening to this show. So let me further oversimplify things. Sure. Because that's what my <laughs> peanut brain likes to do. <laughs> Um, if we were talking about sales processes, mm-hmm. not smart cities, we know that there are certain companies out there, um, Oracle, Salesforce, mm-hmm. big machines that have already figured out this dashboard. They've got years of experience. We're talking about smart cities. We're in the first inning. Mm-hmm. Who are the, the big heavy hitters? You know, who is swinging the big bats? to get this game started? Um, Is it companies like Cisco, uh, Motorola, who can lay out a deployment that is unified, takes the silo out of it, Yep. And gives you sure. a beautiful dashboard. Sure. Um, and and basically, so what you're talking about is a systems integrator. So I, I would say, you know, uh, Panasonic's one, mm-hmm. um, Siemens is one. Um, there are many. And okay. and then there are also these, the, you know, the big players, you know, the Googles, um, the Microsofts, uh, the big tech players who are tr- trying to find their piece in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the systems integrator is, is the 
the core piece of solving this. There, there are many, say, wireless carriers or telecom companies who are forming their ecosystem of chosen applications. Mm-hmm. So, so they may, might have an ecosystem of a smart parking app, a, um, a, a camera system for public safety, air quality monitoring. Um, but that's giving you essentially what, what they've cho- chosen to be the best solution for their system. And they will come and sell essentially smart cities in a box. And that will have that dashboard. And that's great. One of the interesting things that we found, and and this is really um, one of the reasons why we formed the alliance, is that those engagements aren't always, well, they might be the quickest way to check the box of, of kind of, we are doing this in smart cities and get the fastest deployment. It's not always getting the best fit for the final solution for every city, because every city has different priorities, different needs, different challenges. Um, but but that's the it's the goal is the same. How do you unify these very disparate systems and ensure they're going to work together? In order to do that, there and again, this goes back to the first inning piece. Um, there are standards being developed by bodies like the IEEE um, and NIST uh, around smart cities for exactly this purpose, um, and it's really making sure that all of these disparate systems, which they're, it's still unknown yet which of these standards are going to emerge, um, but a standard is needed to you, ensure that interoperability. Do you have a horse in the race that you would you would bet on right now? Um, no. <laughs> I'd be foolish to say that I could pick that winner. <laughs> fair, fair. I shouldn't have asked the question. That was an unfair question. Mm. So uh, tell me a little bit more about the Colorado Smart Cities Alliance. What is that? So the Smart Cities Alliance is um, is a first of its kind uh, statewide network of 16 cities that have kind of joined together to increase or um, uh, uh, increase the speed of adoption of smart cities technologies or solutions. Um, you know, we when we first started building out the idea of the alliance, we flew around the country and around the world and really looked at best practices for which places in the world this was being done well, where deployments were going well. Um, and we realized in that process that, you know, some of the the most important issues, uh, some of which we've talked about today, you know, public health, public safety, uh, transportation and mobility, resource efficiency and sustainability. Those issues are so complex and so big that no one city can solve them on their own. And and frankly, no one company can solve them on their own. So it really necessitates public-private partnerships uh, to solve these big issues. This is really a co-development lab. Essentially, we're engaging these 16 cities as living laboratories for the proof-of-concept pilots for emerging technologies. How does policy factor into this? Does it slow things down the way I imagine it would? It does. However, there is a great deal of kind of best practice out there um, that are demonstrating how cities can basically create an alternate channel for the purpose of innovation. 
So many cities, like I would say the best practice is to create a dedicated innovation budget that ha- that maybe a city manager uh, has uh, kind of signing authority over. And then also an, an innovation framework policy. So basically saying we acknowledge as a city that we need to be able to move faster to be able to take advantage of some of these emerging technologies or, or to learn about them. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of movement in that regard that's really helping to to facilitate these public-private partnerships. That to me, and again, I tend to oversimplify things, right? But um, <laughs> that's the difference between a host and a subject matter <laughs> expert. Um, but uh, that to me uh, seems like probably one of the biggest hurdles, never minding the technology adoption itself. Um, what has been uh, the barrier to entry and what can we do to accelerate adoption, not just in Denver specifically, but the Denvers of the world that are really poised to take this on, fast-growing areas. Well, uh, so that's a very difficult question. (laughs) It's a very complex one. Um, But you've you've got to align so many different stakeholders, um, both public and private and citizen and, uh, you know, everything um, in order to make these things happen. It will improve over time, um, and and again, as I mentioned earlier, there's a there is a growing kind of community of civic innovators within government, and it makes sense. We're only going to continue to move towards urban areas uh, for the yep. foreseeable future. Well, that's that's what they say. I mean, you know, you look at, at kind of like the the UN reports. Um, you know, at, at roughly the turn of the nineteen. 19- uh, the 20th century, you know, 1900, we're talking about, you know, sub 10% of people globally living in metropolitan areas. Um, at In 2007, we hit 50% of the world's population. Wow. And that's projected to go to 75% by 2050. So that's, that's a, a trajectory that's increasing. And that puts a lot of pressure on cities to figure out, like, because with that growth, that that growth is inherently good. Um, living in cities, living in higher density is it's better for the environment. It's more efficient to deliver services. Um, those are good things. However, you know we're experiencing it here in Denver. I mean, we've 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 been on a tear for ten years and almost <laughs> doubled the population. Another three point five million people in a state of eight point five by twenty fifty. Wow. Like if we don't get smart about how we operate cities really quick, there is going to be a substantial hit to the quality of life. People love to talk about these big eddies. They love to talk about IoT and um, they love to read about smart cities. We love these notions um, of, say, the Internet of Things, but we're still really discovering what that even means, right, to the average person. Um, And the same might be said for smart cities, right? Uh, We can all agree, hey, smart cities, great idea, let's do it. Now what? Like what, what? What is the what is the ideal outcome? What is your hope um, for the connected city? To to see smart cities as a concept come into fruition, um, to me that would mean the ability to live in great cities like Denver in the most hassle free and healthy way, where I would feel comfortable with my daughter you know, walking a mile or two to the to city park um, mm. to hang out with her friends and not be worried about, you know, her safety. Right. Um, it would be 
playing outside and knowing that the air quality is healthy. Um, and not just thinking it is, but knowing it is because I can pull up an app on my phone and look at the the quality of the air or water in my immediate, like in my yard. Uh, to me, the whole purpose of this is, you know, enabling people to have a, a great life and a key part, maybe the most important part of having that great life, with the exception of possibly health, um, is having a great job that allows you to support a family, to live the lifestyle you want. Those are the things that, like, yes, it sounds ambitious, but we are on the precipice of having the technology, having the policies, having the political will to adopt these these practices, technologies, policies that can enable us to get to this, you know, semi-utopian future. That may sound incredibly naive to some people, but um, I'm an optimist. Good for you. Ambitious and within reach. And, you know, to me, that sounds for all the world like a tremendous improvement in quality of life. Jake, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Until recently, Victor Gao has been founding publisher and editor of AspenCore, a global media house that publishes electronic engineering titles such as EDN, IoT Times, and our own EE Times. I've asked Victor to join me today as we look at some of the most successful smart cities around the world. Victor, thank you for joining me. Glad to be here. So I'll admit, you know, it was your enthusiasm for smart cities that inspired me to explore this topic a little further. And uh, of course, being an engineer, I immediately dove into the technological considerations of a smart city. Well, and you know, that's a great place to start. Of course, like anything worth exploring, there's a much larger story to consider, something that impacts all of us, something beyond the technology. Mm. And, and when we're talking about smart cities specifically, what is that larger narrative? And, you know, for me, it's the excitement around smart city that is ultimately about the quality of life improvements uh, it can bring to citizens. So the key question is, beyond the technology, how do we use technology to help people feel more connected to their friends, to their families, and also to their communities? How can technology empower people to participate in their own governance and make meaningful contributions to their living standards? That sort of questions. Mm. So a very human-centric design approach. Um, how do we translate this broader perspective into something tangible? You know, I think if we're looking at how to make a meaningful impact on the people, on the businesses, on the natural environment that compose our cities, first we need to define what it means to be a smart city. It seems intuitive, but when you start thinking about the ways we can use data to facilitate decision-making, enhance security, safety, or simply to ease traffic congestion, you begin to realize the enormity of the opportunity at hand. In general, we can consider a smart city in three layers. Uh, the first is the physical layer. Uh, what I mean is the sensors, gateways, power, uh, network distribution, uh, the hardware layer, if you will. Uh, the next is the application layer, where you have the software, the analytics, um, the artificial intelligence, and the transactional protocols, processing and using the data, et cetera. Right. And so what's the third layer? The third layer is the conscious employment of data and insight from the first two layers uh, to drive better decisions and behavioral change. The third layer is us, the, the beneficiaries of connectivity and computational intelligence. That's exactly right. Mm. Let's back up for a moment. You travel. Uh, yes, I do. 
And of the places you visit, and you ran a global publishing house, so I imagine you travel just about <laughs> everywhere. Uh, what cities or countries have made significant headway, not just in technological integration, but in true smart urban design and implementation? You know, again, there are many examples that comes to mind. Um, I think some cities are a much greater extent than others. Amsterdam is a city that comes to mind. Uh, I was just there in April. Uh, like a number of other cities, uh, Amsterdam has invested in the physical and application layers with a goal of creating that connection between the citizens uh, and their community, or just to make life uh, better overall. Um, I think the same thing is happening in Singapore, uh, where the government is clearly committed to building a sustainable and digitally optimized city for its citizens and for many generations to come. Um, Portugal is really interesting. So I think uh, Portugal is a brilliant example of sustainable energy design. Uh, we learned earlier this year, for example, that uh, Portugal has already uh, produced more energy from sustainable sources than the country as a whole can consume. Uh, in March, in fact, uh, according to the nation's uh, transmission systems operator, uh, REN, uh, the renewable energy output in uh, uh, reached uh, something like 4,800 uh, gigawatts, wow. surpassing their, their total needs for March. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that. by the way, that's something like 104%. Um, wow. of, uh, of their renewables. <laughs> oh. Wow. So they've actually generated a surplus of energy from right. sustainable sources. Exactly. Yeah. So they have a surplus. And what's even more remarkable is you take the city of um, Evra, for example, in the uh, Ali uh, Tenju region. Uh, so way back in 2010, that, that feels like ancient history. The, 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 the electricity power company over there called Energias de Portugal Distribui Sound, uh, they installed more than 30,000 boxes and 40,000 distribution transformer controllers and all the respective integration with the company's systems. Wow. Now, these smart meters have been collecting data about individual consumption profiles uh, and, and uh, collective grid demand. So after a few years of uh, data collection, this system started to optimize uh, the integration of decentralized energy generation uh, and even electric vehicle charging infrastructure into the grid. So this, in turn, as you might imagine, enabled a lot of the automated grid management, improvement of the quality of energy services, reduction of grid costs, all those sort of things that we often talked about, um, but now is possible through technology. And this happened a few years ago. Mm. What about North America? Ah, I'm glad you asked. Uh, you know, I found the city of Toronto to be doing mm. interesting things, in particular because I think the public and private partnership framework seems to be more mature than many other cities in North America. They seem to be further along. Okay. Uh, that said, though, right here in our home city, Denver, uh, I'm also beginning to see a rapid convergence between the technology firms that have moved here over the last few years and the city's love of the outdoors leading to uh, some bold and innovative thinking, especially as of late. By the way, you know, it's interesting, the cities you just mentioned, and full disclosure, right, this is not my index, but something that was published by a company called Easy Park which uh, collaborated with about 20,000 expert contributors to identify the top 100 smart cities worldwide. Uh, Singapore is ranked number two. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, you got it. And then uh, let's see, you mentioned Amsterdam, right? Yep. Uh, they're ranked eighth smartest city. So you've uh, you've got two of the top 10. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and I think that speaks though to how appreciable their quality of life improvements have been. Um and, and as I go down the list, I see really a preponderance of European cities that have taken the lead on this. Yeah, but you know, what I want to know is who's number one. 
Mm, well, according to this index, and this is just one index, uh, it was Copenhagen. Ah, you know, that makes total sense. I would have said um, Stockholm, actually, also. St- oh, very good. So they're in the number three position, actually, followed closely by Zurich. So there you go. You know, uh, now we all have something smart we can bring up at parties. <laughs> no point intended, right, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. None at all. None at all. So, you know, I'm curious, how does, um, what's this um, score, uh, who does it again? Uh, a company called Easy Park. Great. So how does Easy Park actually score these uh, cities? Well, they seem to use a pretty thorough rubric for these rankings. They look at things like transportation and mobility, uh, which includes things like access to smart parking, you know, data-guided parking all around the city, making it easier, uh, public transportation, and even car sharing services. They look hmm. at traffic as well. Uh, some of the other categories are sustainability. So things like clean energy, waste disposal, smart buildings. They look at governance. So hmm. um, what they're calling sort of digitalization of government, right? Um, and education and urban planning. And and I like this one, by the way, citizen participation. Wow. Uh, which you had mentioned yep. kind of earlier in the conversation. Uh, innovative economy is a key factor. And then they evaluated connectivity infrastructure, which would be things like 4G LTE coverage. Sure. Um, Wi-Fi hotspots, broadband speeds, and smartphone penetration. So... Uh, yeah, these are the cities that topped the charts in all these different categories, and they ranked Copenhagen's number one. Sounds pretty thorough to me. You are right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they were very thorough. Um, oh, and speaking of European cities, now you'd have to include London in here. Um, I've heard you describe a truly remarkable result of digitalizing some of our oldest cities, and I think it highlights the human impact of all of this. Can you share a little about that? Yeah, Um you know, when we talk about the purpose of smart cities, we're talking about improving the quality of life for its citizens, um, individually and, and as a whole. Now, the trend in urban planning and just as the lifestyles we've adopted over the past few generations show, have really pushed us further and further away from the idea of a public commons. Mm-hmm. Now, modern cities are a departure from the days when the general public, for example, was far more engaged, say, at a town square Uh, Piazza, if you will, where you had one-on-one interactions with uh, politicians, civic leaders, people from other neighborhoods. Uh, We've lost that in many parts of the world. And the way our newer cities have been architected, uh, if you don't have access to engage with people unless you make a conscious effort, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, even just the physical encounters of running into someone. But in our older cities, such as in Europe or some of the tier two cities in Asia, uh, like Chengdu or Penlang, you have the benefit of the city's layout, which is much more amenable to those chance encounters. So if we think about that, there is the idea of how do you get citizens and local officials engaged in a digital platform that facilitates more of that real-world interaction and striving for a higher quality of living. And that's where I actually think there is a interesting synergy between old cities and smart cities. You know, I mean, on that topic, I think, if I, if I may, another area that I think we need to be mindful about is, you know, not, we talk a lot about smart cities on this show, but not everyone wants to or could afford to move to a city. So as we consider the impact of smart cities, we want to keep in mind the context of these cities, if you will, which is the rural surroundings, and be aware uh, that we don't end up creating a digital apartheid of sorts that as much as we work on smart cities, we give more thought to smart villages and farms, for example. That's 
fantastic insight and and really um uh, but what i do think we can all agree on is that ultimately you know the smart city discussion should be about technology lifting people up it shouldn't just be people living in a city but all people everywhere yeah you got it that's it thank you victor thank you ee times on air this program is produced by aspen Corp. thanks for listening <laughs>